You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now, your hosts, Scott, Miles, and Anna. Your table is ready. Live long and prosper. This is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Well, welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog, and I am actually the only host here for episode 202, uh, and there's a story behind that. We originally did record in episode 202. If you go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash sci-fi diner podcast, you will find a full, original, unedited episode 202. I was not a part of that show. It was absolutely a terrible night, not because Miles and them were running the show. They did a wonderful job, but it was kind of the spur of the moment. I was pulled out of the podcasting session because I was intervening. I was kind of helping out with a domestic dispute of a neighbor whose sister was beat and absolutely a horrible situation. And sometime maybe I'll give a rant on men that treat women terribly, but it was absolutely a bad night. And so I kind of caught Miles and M unawares and the show just didn't uh, come out quite to what we were looking at. Maybe I'll release that sometime in the feed unedited. I have the files. It's not a really big deal for it. But uh, we decided, uh, I decided to kind of can episode 202, the original 202, and bring you this episode of episode 202. And it's our interview, the interview that Miles and I did with with Pip Ballantyne and T. Morris. Now, these guys are absolutely, I shouldn't say guys, this husband and wife team are phenomenal writers. They've been around a long time and have been podcasting their stories for a long time. And we sat down and had about an hour interview with these guys. They are absolutely awesome, absolutely awesome. And if you are fans of Warehouse 13, of Eureka, of of Steampunk, then and maybe Van Helsing, these guys, you're gonna want to check out this interview because we find out a lot about what got them into podcasting, a little bit about who they are, but they are avid fans of the steampunk genre and. We don't many times, I guess we don't have very many times steampunk related stuff on the show, but it's a genre of science fiction at any con we go to, we always end up seeing and always end up admiring the complexity of some of the outfits of some of the, of what these steampunk um, role cosplayers dress up as. It's absolutely awesome. So check out, here's our interview with T. Morris and with Pip Ballantine. I do apologize for arriving at this late hour. Oh, it is quite all right. Come join me by the fire. Mm. 
due to the hour and my business, I cannot stay for long. A shame. Fire and brandy do make for lovely companions on cold nights like this. Perhaps another time when you are not engaged in your professional pursuits? Mm, doubtful. I rarely play social calls. Particularly with associates with whom I have done business. Ladies and gentlemen, we at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast love to let you know about new and exciting projects in the sci-fi and fantasy. And we're delighted to let you know of, a, of a one we, we discovered in the literature patio book realm. What do you take when you mix a little of uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Van Helsing, and maybe a little bit of Warehouse 13? You get the award-winning Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. To tell us about this world and how we can get a hold of some of the sci-fi fantasy goodness are the authors, a husband and wife team, T. Morris and Pippa Ballantyne. Uh, we welcome you to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast and thank you for uh, taking time to talk with us. Not at all. We love to be here. Thank you. That was a great. That was a great intro too. I've never thought about League, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, a touch of Warehouse Thirteen, and the other one you threw in was what? Van Helsing. Oh, he loves Van Helsing. Oh, that's such an underrated movie. Yes, it is. yes, yeah, it was it campy. It was cheesy. But it if was... it came out now, it would have been a hit. It would, be a <laughs> it would have been a steampunk hit. That is a that, that's just a fun movie. That's a fun freaking. And you know, um, the, the guy from uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, for the, the the brother of Boromir, the younger brother of Boromir. Oh, oh, yes. oh, oh, yeah, Sean Bean. Is that Sean Bean? No, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Ferrum, is it Ferrum? No, not, you know, Sean Bean was Boromir. But the yep. kid, but the guy who, the young actor who played his younger brother. That was what, asking the wrong person. I know the guy you're talking about. Yeah, I know who you're talking. He was about. the wacky. He was the wacky monk that was making all the wacky gadgets for Van Helsing. It was very cool. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't yeah, remember yeah, the name that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Van Helsing would be ahead of its time now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> so we do want to talk about the, the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, and you'll forgive me if uh, we say uh, Mopo, because just to. Keep it a little shorter. <laughs> we do too. We do too. It's all right. All right. Good. Because right. <laughs> uh, it's a mouthful, but it's great. Um, so, so please uh, tell us a little about yourselves. Uh, what got you into sci-fi fantasy in the first place? And 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 tell us um, what you're enjoying now is either in literature or you know either in, in TV and movies. Yeah. Well. Um, well, I was born in Wellington, New Zealand. Lived there up until about three years ago. Um, I guess what got me into science fiction and fantasy was my dad. He read me Lord of the Rings as a bedtime story. It took a long time to read, <laughs> read that to me. Um, but I was also quite a, a quick reader, so I devoured all of his, you know, Anne McCaffrey, Andre Norton uh, stories that he, he loves. And uh, I got to the end of his books, and I was like, well, maybe I should try writing. So I actually tried my very first novel at uh, the age of, 13 and uh, then and then worked my way up to New York <laughs> not, not in, a, in a shape trajectory I gave up a bit in the middle because I was like eh, New Zealand no it's very hard to get a book published from New Zealand then they invented this thing called the internet which really helped me out <laughs> um, that was Al Gore. and I, yeah I guess my 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 um, genre watching uh, my very first uh, genre would be Doctor Who I remember hiding behind the couch in the traditional manner of all New Zealand children when watching it. Uh, still love, still love me some Who, 
Uh, she still hides behind the couch. I do not hide behind the couch. <laughs> Just a little bit sometimes yeah, when the maybe. Daleks come out. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I've, I, I've always loved uh, – I love dragons. That's my favorite thing in, in the fantasy genre, but you don't really see them done so well on the on the movie screen. When they're, they're either done they're either done extremely well or they're done extremely – Extremely terribly. Extremely terribly. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The atrocity that was the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh, oh, oh terrible! terrible. Hey, look, terrible. You, you seriously but brought that, that up. Film, you Jeremy seriously Allen's brought it up. Just saying, hey, does yeah. the check clear the bank? <laughs> yes. All <laughs> I care about. Does the check clear the bank? Yeah, yeah that was the best part about Aragon. Show me some wallpaper to chew on. Now, yeah, my <laughs> now, okay, now so, Pip, um, uh, just hang on, Pip. You said you were an Andre Norton fan. What Andre Norton did particularly drew you to Andre Norton? Because very few people, very, very few people, very few people mention her when they talk about the things that inspired them. And let me tell you, I'm interested because what got me into science fiction was Andre Norton. Oh well, I love the the Dark nice. Over books. Okay. I love the uh what is what was it the uh the time the time travel books. The uh what are they called? Oh okay. Now I guess I guess because I um because I was a, a young woman growing up I really just tended to gravitate towards the female writers. Right. Um and CJ Cherry is another, another Yes, yes. Years, oh yeah. yes. She uh, a bit later. yeah, I I sort of ran across her a little bit later, but yes. Um and and my love of Anne McCarthy is all related to dragons. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I remember sinking my teeth into her books as well. T, how about yourself? Yeah. So uh, I was also introduced to uh, to science fiction through my father. But my father really wasn't much of a reader. But he loves he loves all things tech. And so uh, when they started running Star Trek in syndication... He let me, as as a young lad, uh, stay up late at night, so that 11.30 at night on WTVR station channel 6, one of three that were on the air at the time. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I would watch the reruns of Star Trek, and I just fell in love with it. I mean, I really, really got into it as a kid. And then, uh, you know, I was one of the kids that um, that saw Star Wars in the theaters, the one where there was only one shot in the Moss Eisley uh, Katina, and it was <laughs> yeah. and it was not Greedo who shot. Uh, you know, so so there there was a lot of um, my influence in uh, in 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 uh, in science fiction and fantasy actually came from film. But my 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 most memorable um, my most memorable reading material was Terry Brooks. Uh, you know, I, I I discovered the the sword of Shannara and uh, the original the original trilogy sword Elfstone's wish song, and and just fell in love with with his style and his books. And as a as a as a professional writer, I it, it didn't dawn on me until uh, until only only about I want to say maybe a month or two after the photograph was taken. Um, you got to fast forward to RavenCon uh, 2006. Yeah, it was 2000. No, 2007. RavenCon 2007. It was the first year of the convention, and our uh, our guest of honor to help kick it off was Terry Brooks that year. And Terry was kind enough. Could not have been a greater guy. I mean, re when it comes to successful writers who are really genuinely nice people to their core, Terry Brooks is up there. And I'll never forget uh, just taking having this picture taken, and it didn't dawn on me how influential this this picture was. On one side of me was Terry Brooks, the first fantasy author I ever wrote, uh, I ever read, the first fantasy author who ever wrote to me, uh, had a correspondence, a very quick correspondence, but just was 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 a, a major influence in me writing. 
And on the other side of me was my 10th grade English teacher who also encouraged me to write creatively and to do something with this because uh, in her words, this is, a, this, is, this is way beyond anything that other 10th grade students do. You should really pursue this. And to have these two influences and me in the middle, very few authors can, can, can say that they've, they've had that moment. And I've not only got that moment, I've got it recorded uh, in digital photography. So it's kind of nice to have. That's awesome. Um, yeah, uh, and um, <clears throat> as far as what I'm reading, uh, what I'm watching, and what I'm reading now, um, let's see. Uh, I, the last book I read, which I thoroughly enjoyed, was Red Shirts from John Scalzi, which ties back to my love of Star Trek. And it was it was impossible for me not to uh, make that make that jump in my mind, you know, casting William, a young William Shatner and a young Leonard Nimoy and all this. Except I will say this, the, 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 the science officer in Red Shirts, I had a tough time sticking with the young Leonard Nimoy and I kept drifting over to Alan Rickman from, uh, from Galaxy Quest, <laughs> which actually worked really well. <laughs> right, right, right. Also a classic Star um, Trek movie. Yes, also <laughs> a classic, great, yeah, a great film, a great film. And, um... And and really, I think what it was it was that, it was that uh, it was that that love of the visual media that gravitated me towards writing steampunk and uh, and essentially all things geek. Um, I I remember as a kid just loving movies like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Walt Disney's Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and then in my uh, in my later years, my dad introduced me to reruns of the Wild Wild West. So. All that had an influence, uh, and and I, I think another watershed uh, media influence on me was a was a, a wonderful film. Uh, it was directed by Nicholas Meyer, the guy who went on to direct Star Trek Two and Star Trek Six. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, his first film was called Time After Time, and it starred Malcolm McDowell as H. G. Wells and David Warner as Jack the Ripper. And in this movie, H. G. Wells actually builds the time machine. Jack the Ripper gets a hold of it. Uh, jumps ahead into the future, so H.G. Wells chases Jack the Ripper in modern-day San Francisco, modern-day at that time being 1979, um, through the streets of San Francisco because Jack is going back to his old habits. Hmm. I've never saw that movie. I got, I got to check that out. You got your, I never heard of it. Oh, yeah. Movie, I, so. Last time I... Yeah, it, it's, one of those, it's one of those little gems. You can always tell... There, there are two reactions you get from geeks. Either... Either, huh, never heard of that film. Is it on Netflix? Yeah. The other one is, that is a fantastic film. <laughs> and it's just one, of, it really is. It's one of those underground films that if you can find it. It's it's just fantastic. And the last time I checked, it is on Netflix. Uh, but but if not, go on ahead and look for it on iTunes. I'm sure it's there as well. Right, right. So uh, let me back up a little bit. Terry Brooks, right? Did you ever get into yeah. the, did you ever get into the Landover series? No, I didn't. But I know that uh, that in in his discussions, he says I believe the Landover series is probably his favorite of all the series. I know he that does. He's done. Yeah, I, you know what? And, and I, I, um, it was it was my very first book that I encountered. But Terry Brooks was the Magic Kingdom for sale sold, and right. And I and I loved it. But and I didn't discover you know Shannarati years later, and then I devoured like everything. Like the entire yeah. series is just yeah. phenomenal, wonderful, wonderful series. So. And uh, and Terry also went on to do uh, a touch of nonfiction. I I do keep the book within within reach. It's called Sometimes the Magic Works, and it's it's this great uh, look into a writer's life and and little lessons that writers uh, who have been doing this for years and writers who are just starting off they can all walk away with something. Particularly when it comes to 
not just writing fantasy, but writing uh, writing movie tie-ins and just uh, and dealing with the real world and dealing with the realities of being an author. It it, it was actually it was actually a terrific read, so, and it's a very quick read. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a, it's just a, a little memoir called Sometimes the Magic Works, and and I highly recommend it to 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 readers. Hmm. Well, now. I- uh, T and and Pip, I know that T especially you were a, a you were a real early adopter of this medium called podcasting. Yeah. Uh, do you want to uh, Pip? How early did you encounter podcasting for for your work? <laughs> and then and and T, I want you to tell a little bit about your story about that encounter, especially as an author, viewing it through the eyes of an author. Um. I discovered podcasting through this guy called T. Morris. Um, <laughs> wound, up, wound up marrying him. Yeah. <laughs> Strange how things go. Um, <laughs> we were both the, um, uh, an independent press in Canada called Dragon Moon Press. And um, I had a book out called Chasing the Bard with them that was coming out. And T. convinced me that I needed to start podcasting to get some sort of marketing campaign underway for Chasing the Bard. So I actually started recording podcasting before I'd ever really listened to terribly much of it. Uh, I res- listened to a bit of Moravi and I, um, what was it, February 2006, my very first episode of Weaver's Web dropped. So I also feel old. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, but, you know, I when I got on, on board the podcast train, I was I was ended up listening to uh, Medical City by Chris Lester and uh, Scott Sigler's work and Mark Jeffrey and, you know, once it's, it's a bit like a virus podcasting. Once you start listening or getting involved, you, you find yourself doing more and more and more it's, and more yeah, and more. It's, 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 it's kind of like the potato chips of, of social media. One's just one, not one, enough. One, one can't podcast, stop at one. Yeah, you can't stop just listening to one podcast. you got to listen to as many podcasts as you can get your hands on. Right. And uh, and particularly in the D.C. area, it's, it's always funny. Um, I remember when podcasting started in 2005. And, the, the, um, and already, already the elitists were coming out of the woodwork and they were saying, well, if you want a podcast, if you want a proper podcast, it should never be more than 20 minutes. And I would look at them and go, why 20 minutes? Because that's the average commute to work. That's when I laugh at them and go, you don't live in Washington, D.C., do you? <laughs> <laughs> why a lot of uh, Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, literally, in, in, in an average Washington, D.C. commute, I could burn through several seasons of podcasts that were 20 minutes long. So yeah, I I tell people it's as long as as you as you as you have. So sometimes our episodes for for Tales from the Archives, for example, will be thirty or forty five minutes. Sometimes they'll be longer, and then we have shared desks that range the gamut between thirty five forty minutes all the way to creeping into the hour. It depends on how, <laughs> depends on how goofy we get on the show. I started podcasting literally as a as a marketing uh, as a marketing ploy. Uh, I was getting ready to premiere with Dragon Moon Press, the sequel to Moravi, and my, um, my my publisher came to me and said, okay, you did this, uh, this, this grand launch for the first book. What are you going to do to top that? And I honestly had no clue what I was going to do. But at the time, I was listening to Michael and Evo, uh, Michael R. Menegay and Evo Terra, uh, who, over at a, at, a, at a podcast called The Dragon Page. They started on internet radio. Then they went from internet radio to terrestrial radio. Then they started doing a a sort of light syndication of their terrestrial radio show uh, through this medium called podcasting. And I had a long talk with Evo and Mike about it, and they were just raving about 
this new thing on called podcasting. And around around the, the end of 2004, I, I contacted both of them and said, I, I got this crazy idea. How would you guys feel if I podcast Moravi? Because they were both big fans of the original book. And they they said they said they, they said you want to podcast Moravia? I said yeah, and uh, and the plan was to do a chapter per per whatever you know a chapter at a time. I'd send it to them, and they would make it part of their show's feed. And that was the beginning. It, my first episode dropped on January twenty first, two thousand and five, and that was when we started podcasting. Uh, I I spent. I spent four hundred dollars my entire rig, uh, stuck stuff inside of my Mac. I, I'm actually talking to you right now on, on the uh, on the mic that I cut my teeth on this MXL nine ninety. I mean, nice. I I was starting from scratch, and from there, uh, I started podcasting with the guys. And then this guy named Mark Jeffrey stepped up and said, "Well, I've got an I, I've got a I've got a, an audiobook here, but I'll give you a chapter at a time, and we'll we'll go ahead and podcast that." And then this guy named Scott Sigler stepped up, and he said, I've got a book that's never been published, and I want to make it a podcast novel and exclusively release it with you guys. And that was how the whole patio books movement started. Uh, right. Evo came up with the term. He sat down with me and another guy named Chris Miller. We launched patiobooks.com, and, and then Evo and I got tapped to write uh, Podcasting for Dummies, which was uh, quite an adventure. And, and it's really interesting how how when we first did this back in 2005 it was a really tight community we knew everybody and i would say there was maybe maybe um 50 to 100 different podcasts currently playing back in 2005 and then between the first edition and the second edition we came out in 2008 just the number the, the number of video podcasts went from 5 to 110 Wow. Just in that, just in that brief wow. time, and and it, it, you know, and I think podcasting has come and gone in waves. I think I think a lot of people have discovered that to do it right, there's some work involved, and there's there there there's some there's some uh, some some hands getting dirty, but the people that are still doing it are the people who genuinely love it, and I think Pip and I are, are two of those people because yeah. we just we genuinely love doing this. So so were you were you uh, T were you one of the first people then to actually begin podcasting a novel? Were you the first? I was the first. I you was the, the first. first. I was That's the first. Awesome. And um, it's funny because it was it's, it was Scott Sigler who actually started splitting the hair, as it were. Scott goes, yes, T was the first person to podcast a novel, but I was the first to produce a podcast exclusive novel. And and I I, 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 I gave it to him. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That's fine. You know, we, we you know you got to be the first. You know, and, right, right. And um. And Scott, Scott's a Scott is a marketing machine, so oh, I, I gave him a total pass on that. But yeah, I was the, I was the first. No, um, I wasn't the first person to podcast fiction though. That um, that actually, to my knowledge, belongs to Mer Lafferty. She's she was pod, and that was where I got the idea. She was podcasting short fiction on her podcast, and also they were carrying it on the Dragon page for a while. And that's when I got the idea. Well, if they're going to do short fiction. Why don't I give this a shot and do a, a full novel? Okay. And and now now and you ask me as a, as a as a writer how do I feel about podcasting? I, I'm I'm of two minds of it, because uh, Pip and I also have our own writing show, which we call it the Shared Desk. You can find that at thesharedesk.com, and um, <laughs> that's where we talk about writer stuff and we do writer 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 issues. We have a little fun. 
We talk about stuff when writers are off the clock. You know, that, guests. that guests, we have guests on. So um, when you do a writing show, that, that's good fun. When you do short fiction, I think short fiction is, uh, is, a, is a great way to market whatever work in progress you're working on because with short fiction, you can actually do what we did with Tales from the Archives, invite other authors to come on. You know, they, they give us audio. We produce it. We make it sweet. We pepper it with special effects and everything. We, we put it out there. I know there are still people who are podcasting entire novels, and at one time I would tell people that's the way to go. Now, not so much. Uh, I would actually say, as a writer, I've seen more of a return off of my off of my work and off of my efforts, off of Pip's work and Pip's efforts, when we've done audio anthologies, but not full novels. Um, I will probably, yeah, I, I will probably never podcast another another full length novel again. Hmm. Um, Pip thinks I'm brave in saying never, but, uh, <laughs> but I just I found that it's not as rewarding. And as 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 a smart of an investment as as doing short fiction and mm. and the 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 tales in the archives and and Pip also did it with uh, one of the books of the order series. She actually did a season of something called Chronicles of the Order, which was a really really delightful listen. And and I think that by by uh, approaching podcasting either from a variety show way or from a, a short fiction way, I think, that's a, I think that, that's, a, that's a smarter way for authors to approach podcasting as a, as a viable marketing mm -hmm. tool. Well, we have you on here to talk a little bit about uh, your work with, um, with Mopo. Uh, Miles, do you want to ask the next question? Sure. So this is kind of a two-part question. What inspired you to create the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences? And, and, and tell us about the world that, that it's in. Well, we <laughs> the strange, unusual story of Mopo. Well, I'm trying to make it the short version of Mopo because we could go on for a long time about short what short version. She didn't want to do all the work. <laughs> yeah, uh, this was in 2009. No, 2008. 2008. Um, there was some rumblings about podcasts for pay, and I was like, "Oh, maybe, maybe I could investigate if that would work." But I don't want to write an entire novel and then have no return on it. So I know I'll ask T to help me out. Uh, and we can co-write a novel, and then I've only wasted half of my efforts, and he's wasted <laughs> half of it. So um, we started off, the original ministry was a snuff of a story that T never wrote that we had discussed. And so I was like, well, if I pitch it to him as the fact that it might help market this book that he might eventually end up writing, he'll probably be more likely to it do it. A, it was a very dastardly plan on her part, which he puts it that way. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I, like, I, I put the bait on the hook. Um, right. But but the f funny thing was it ended up pretty lucrative as well for very you. Very much so, uh, yes. And me. Um, we, so we started writing it. We got about three chapters in maybe, and I'd blog, I blogged about it on my website. And um, uh, our agent, my agent at the time uh, said, Somebody's asked about this ministry of peculiar whatever thing you're doing. Uh, how far along is it? And I was like, oh, we're she lied. fairly far along. Yeah, <laughs> she lied. And then I got, you know, I talked to T, and I was like, write faster. <laughs> um, so that was that was the genesis of the entire series. Um, yeah. As far as inspiration, I know T is already going to say that it's going to be the '60s Avengers, uh, Stephen Peel. Stephen Peel. Stephen yes, Peel. I got it right. Yep. Huh. Um, Peel were needed. Yes. Yeah. But for me, it was uh, Scully and Mulder because I, I was yes. a um, big early season <laughs> X-Files fan. Yeah. Um, and so I always imagined that the chemistry between them was a bit like that, although I think Eliza might be Mulder. 
Um, she's actually, a bit, she, she, no, no, she, she, she's and the a, banter. Sort of well, thing. the banter, yeah, but see, that's where I think it's less Mulder and Scully and more like Steed and uh, Peel because Emma Peel was always the, the 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 action chick doing the judo kicks and things like that's that, the cat suits. Whereas 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 John Steed always made sure that his bowler was on properly. He always had his that's umbrella true. with him, you know. And that's that's kind of that was kind so of that comes thing. from a multiple sort of sources. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and the and the other thing too is the uh, the I know, and it's funny you mentioned League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because. Um, I was I was inspired. I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was a great idea that Alan Moore came up with. Um, but every time I read the comic, I I just felt like it was Alan Moore getting a little too trippy, getting a just 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 putting off the meds for a little bit too long, and it, it got a little it just got a little too weird and a little. I mean, I just I just couldn't get over the finishing house that looked like a giant derriere with a hand behind it. I just <laughs> couldn't get. Behind that. Oh, I just put it into book four of the Morpo. And we're going to take oh. it out. Of book four. <laughs> but, but, but the um. But I am but, now. I know you are. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, short story. Anyway, so um, but but I I thought what a great idea that was, and and I too am a big fan of of the uh, the unexplained of of the X Files, and uh, and I just recently started watching Fringe. Just I love Fringe. Awesome series. And, yeah, yeah, great show. And. And then I and then I, sta- I sat back and I thought, well, what if you know? And and I think it was a combination of wondering, what could I do that would be like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but not be the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but could still tap into that 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 almost secret agent kind of investigation, you know, doing things beyond beyond the government or beyond beyond comprehension. And then uh, somewhere in there, I, I guess it kind of crept in some of the some of the influence of the X Files crept in. And then I thought, yeah, the ministry. It just it, it, oh, and and of course I was reading, I was reading Harry Potter at the time. So you're a secret agent, Harry. You're, you're a secret <laughs> agent, Harry. Um, yeah. Uh, but then suddenly it just it just dawned on me: if there's a ministry of magic, there's got to be a ministry for this. And that and somehow it just rolled off the tongue: the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Um, which has wound up being a tongue twister for a lot of people, since yeah. people are now calling it Mopo. Uh, but but yeah, it just it just stuck, and and we ran with it. At least we thought we ran with it until we did the first season of Tales in the Archives. And when the authors, a lot of the authors came and said, "Is this an international organization?" And we said, "Well, absolutely. They they serve the Empire." And the stuff that people sent us was just tremendous. So. It, it's kind of if there's organic beasts. Yeah, it's a if if there was ever such thing as viral world building, I think we've done it. Sure, and then we yeah. added the role playing game. Yeah, uh, which is coming out very shortly. So what started <sighs> what started as a uh, as as a as a slacker move on Pip's part <laughs> to do half the work has actually wound up. I'm claiming all the credit. You should. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, now now uh, Mopo has kind of been described as kind of a. St- Steampunk adventure. What role does steampunk kind of play in the world of Mopo? That's a good question. Uh, intrinsic. <laughs> we meet a lot of. Uh, do you intrinsic? Know, intrinsically? Steampunk is intrinsically mad science, mad okay. scientists okay, and, okay. and crazy <laughs> devices and flying <laughs> machines and airships. Yes. Right. So. Um, but I don't think we rely too much. In fact, there was actually this this little inside joke that very few people caught uh, in the very first book of Phoenix Rising. 
um, because a lot of people just make this make this thing about well, you know, you got to have airships and you got to have gadgets goggles. and you got and you got to have goggles and then right. steampunk. Blah. Well, we decided to just get all that out of the way in the very first chapter. We had an airship, we had goggles, we had gadgets, and then just to make it even wack- wackier, we had a secret society. All in the first chapter, and we were like, okay. We hit all of the aesthetic things that tick people off and say, and, and, and for the fans who say, well, it can't be steampunk if it doesn't have this, now let's have some fun. Well, our goggles had purpose. And our go- Yeah, that was the thing that we were proudest of. So they weren't just wearing them on the yeah. head. <laughs> we say ministry, yeah, we say ministry peculiar occurrences where our goggles make sense. And, um, goggles go on eyes. <laughs> yes, goggles go on eyes and do something for protection. But uh, but yeah the uh, the the ministry uh, I think part of what makes it punk uh, there there are a lot of things that make it punk there are Eliza uh, there's Eliza she's the embodiment of steampunk for us because she goes well Wellington steam yeah. and she's punk yeah there you go <laughs> and uh, but I also think that the part of what makes our steampunk um, what makes our what, what makes our punk pop as it were is that we don't just have the gadgets there. People aren't just wearing goggles. People aren't just um, carrying it, uh, ca- carrying around really wacky-looking guns. Everything we have has a purpose. They needed goggles because they were in Antarctica, which means it's blinding snow, so for them to be able to, to see, they needed to wear goggles. There's, um, you know, the, the guns have gadgets. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. And... Um, and it, it was that it's that integration of technology with society that that we really play with, and I think that's also part of what makes our steampunk steampunk. Hmm. Now, does this take place in the nineteenth century? Just okay, just barely eighteen nineties. Yeah, started in eighteen ninety five, which was a. Uh, um, I don't even know how we came up. I with know that exactly number. how we came up with that number oh. because, well, Eliza is from Wellington. Uh, from from Eliza is from <laughs> Eliza is from New Zealand, and New Zealand women New Zealand women got the vote in 1893. Ah, okay. so we had to have it after that. After that, because I we wanted all... to make a point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. So it's kind of like steampunk. It's late late yeah. in the. You know the nineteenth century. Right. Yeah, we're right on the cusp of uh, we're right on the cusp of uh, of the end of Victoria's reign. Or, uh, or are we? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and we did. We just we uh, so so we, we we actually placed it very late in the um and but but the ministry itself we we established has been around since eighteen forty. So there's a lot of great sort of early Victorian stories. In yeah. fact, T's hmm. story uh, Nocturne for Alexandrina, which appeared in uh, Ministry Protocol. It was all about the founding of the ministry, and you get to see a young Queen Victoria. Yeah, mm. that was good fun. Well, now, being involved in the world of steampunk, you probably are tuned a little bit into what's going on in society and in literature and in movies. In your opinion, what is the state of the steampunk genre today? I know you're yeah. writing in it. Obviously, you're passionate about it. Do that. Uh, but how do, you, how, do you, how do you view that, um, as, as, I guess, as a larger whole? I mean, I go, we go to conventions every year, and steampunk's always a part of the conventions we go to. Yes, yes. And so, and I think it always will be. I think it always will be because people love people love that. People they love, love the aesthetic. They love they love the visuals of steampunk. And I, what what I what I find fascinating is that steampunk started off very much uh, first. What well, started off first as a as a um, as an homage to Jules Verne, to H.G. Wells. I mean, mm-hmm. Morlock Knights 
is, as KWG to put it, it's the sequel. It's the sequel to to the time machine that never happened but should have, you know. And and we went from that to stuff like harder stuff like uh like the Difference Engine and the Diamond Age, which 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 went into um society, went into you know the the war, the classes, and things like that. Presently, what what is what we have found fascinating is if you look at the top five steampunk titles, we're the only one that is not a full on blatant romance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything else is 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 I mean everything else is rom well not everything else but most of it is predominantly romance. romance predominantly romance and then you got you got what we do which is action adventure with a touch of romance and then you got Sherry Priest which is basically dystopian uh, apocalyptic steampunk I guess you could call during it the, during the Civil War during the Civil War mm-hmm. and so so you know what 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 I find fascinating but it makes sense that that you would have romance authors gravitating towards uh t- towards towards steampunk as a, as a, as a as a as a platform for for romance novels um throwing a few werewolves and vampires and 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 you got a you got a new york times bestseller for <laughs> right, right, right. but um but the, the i think the one thing that has been um the one thing i think that has been holding back steampunk is that it is not it has not had that breakthrough movie. media movie whatever whether it's movies or whether it's TV, it hasn't happened yet. And I think once that happens, suddenly people are going to go... Get another little kick. Yeah, it'll, it'll, I it'll mean, get a uh, Also, Jim Butch is bringing out a, a steampunk series. starting. I think it's coming out later in the summer or yeah. maybe in the fall. Um, I think that'll give it a good kick in the pants. But, oh, I mean, sure. that's literature. As far as steampunk itself, I think it's doing... Great guns. I mean, there's steampunk oh, yeah, conventions yeah. cropping up. You you can't spit and not hit a steampunk convention. Yeah, I mean, um, just, just last year we, we attended the first year of what is now called Steamtopia in Detroit, Michigan, and what a phenomenal con yeah. it was. Oh, it was great. And um, This year, um, our friend Thomas Williford of Brute Force is building a giant robot for the, for Steam- the Steampunk World's Fair. Fair. And it's in Piscataway or Somerset, uh, New Jersey. It, it floats between the two. Wherever Edison was, that's yeah, where it is. <laughs> that's where it's going to be. And, um, and uh, speaking of Thomas Williford, he is currently working on um, a series called uh, Lantern City with Brooks Boxleitner. And that's supposed to be heading into syndication. They should be filming. They've got a cast. Uh-huh. They just got to get everything Make together. It, it can happen. Right. Uh, as far as a steampunk film, I mean, we have, we've had some close ones. We've had Hugo has probably been one of the most critically acclaimed, one of the prettiest of anything close to steampunk as we've had. But would I call that hardcore steampunk? Nah. Uh, probably, probably not. not. Probably. Uh, as we were talking about earlier, Van Helsing would have been, in my opinion, a great steampunk film had it come out maybe five years later. The question is what who's got what on their development board yeah. that, that yeah. might come to fruition. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. But, I mean, I think Steampunk's just as fanatical about their uh, costuming and music and literature as yeah. they ever were. So it'll be interesting to see what develops. Hmm. Well, very cool. I just wanted to kind of put that out there. Is I think it's important to just kind of talk about, especially playing into what you're writing here, uh, Miles. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of events does the um, the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences investigate? Well, everything weird. Um, <laughs> secret nice. organizations, mad scientists, strange artifacts from distant corners of the world, um, suffragettes disappearing on streets and reappearing inside gates in horrible, <laughs> twisted ways. Yeah. Um, that, that was a that was a gross scene. To, uh, <laughs> that was pretty gross. I Actually, any disappearances are very popular. Uh, airships and ships disappearing off the yeah. coast of. Uh, 
North Carolina. Um, yeah, wide and varied. Anything that uh, the regular police are just going, I do not know what happened there. Yeah, that, that's that's the rule. If it's too weird for Scotland Yard, it, it winds up on the desk of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. And what what was funny was the the first uh, the the three novels that we've written so far have been somewhat light with dark turns. I think that's the best way to describe them. You know, uh-huh. they they're, they're very light, they're very fun. And then near the end, we just take this we 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 turn a corner and people go whoa. And but you know we deal with it. Um, but uh, but it's it's been the actually the the fun bit has been the short stories where people really do try to come up with uh, like, like like was made earlier with warehouse 13 you know it's a it's different artifacts that are either cursed or, uh, or or have some some bad juju around them or or uh, in some cases we've had secret societies which has been fun to play with and um, and what, what's what's going to be really fascinating for us to watch is going to be when uh, the, the the role playing game that we that we kickstarted last last summer, and it's coming out either at the end of this month or beginning of next month from Galileo Games, the Ministry Initiative. It's going to be fun seeing people write campaigns. Because <laughs> I, I, I'll be curious to see if anybody taps into the Secret Societies, because that was the first thing we, we tackled in in Phoenix, Phoenix Rising. Rising. Yeah. And, and Secret Societies are fun to play Yeah, with. we're actually yeah. working uh, with uh, Pete Woodworth on the Villains Supplement, which is one of the... Um, stretch goals that we got with the Kickstarter and that's going to be fun because we're going to be delving into the secret societies and the and the Del Mortes, um, Sophia's family in yeah. Italy who are apparently an entire family of assassins. But but that's that would be the best way to describe the ministry. They handle they handle the stuff that's just too weird for Scotland Yard. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very cool. So you have a so so tell us can you tell us a little bit about the role playing game? I mean you kind of hinted around at it. Sure. Well, sure. Uh, last year we successfully funded a Kickstarter, which was both um, the role-playing game, which we're doing with Galileo Games, and um, a ministry initiative. Sorry, the Ministry Protocol, which is a anthology series. So the project was split between those two um, items. The protocol is all done and dusted and out, and the role-playing game should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the role-playing game is based on the Fate Core system and uh, Galileo Games, uh, J.R. Blackwell and P.J. Schneider have been working diligently yes, they have. upon it and we, yes, they we have. got to have, it was so cool, we got to have a look at it before obviously, oh, give it the, uh, the, the, old, the is, old tick of uh, yeah. approval. The artwork is gorgeous. The, uh, the stuff that they came up with was was also equally fun. The not, character sheets for yeah, all, of our, all, sheets, of our, yeah. all of our characters. So you can actually play Wellington and Eliza if you if you feel so inclined. Um, also, uh, yes, I think they even had a character sheet. Did they have a character? I know they had a character sheet for the Ministry Seven. Yes. Um, but but yeah, I mean, just 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 seeing the little bits of it all start to come together. Uh, you know, trip to R and D and and stuff like that. It just made me go, this is going to be so much freaking. And and part of what makes the game uh, particularly, I, I think part, part of what makes it particularly fun is uh, in Fate Core because it's and, and they said they went with Fate Core because Fate Core is a character-driven gaming system. Okay. And so you have aspects in your character, and the aspects can work for your character but against your character as well. Well, because this is steampunk and gadgets are involved because we're spies, not only do do characters who play the game have aspects so do the gadgets that they carry so let's say you have a modified or not a modified you if you if you have the experimental Winchester Edison 96x rifle the 
uh, electrical coil may work, but the aspect is it will either shoot out a small stun burst of you know of of five of of, of maybe fifty watts, or it's going to send out a a fatal incineration burst. Not just fatal. Yeah, <laughs> turn yeah. them into a cinder kind Pretty of burst. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> of five a 500,000 megavolts, you know, and, and that's the aspect. So not only do you have, have aspects, so are the gadgets you're carrying. And what a great thing to play. I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited to see this. I'm just worried out. about, you know, if you have like an ornithopter, what happens when you fail? With that? <laughs> well, again, quick into a character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll be me playing Munchkin all over again. <laughs> right. 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 No. So, so this is, this is going to allow people that are into the series to really extend that universe and kind of play within that universe, but oh, sure. but my understanding is you also have content online that does the that, that allows users and allows users <laughs> allow re, allows readers to kind of also extend their their view into the world a little bit. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess you're talking about the tales from the archives, which is the podcast, and we also produce them as ebooks. Um, which started off as... We Again, do, it started as a promotional thing. It, it was a promotional thing that we started to do because we wanted to build up interest in uh, Phoenix Rising before it came out. So we turned to our friends and colleagues of podcasting and writing, uh, of which we are lucky enough to have quite a few. Wow. We, that, that's one of the good things of being old farts in a yeah, podcast. We know, it, we know people. <laughs> we know people. <laughs> um, so we, we turned to them and we, we paid them a... Uh, a stipend. A modest fee. <laughs> we paid them a modest fee. Yeah, right. And uh, we got them to write short stories set in the world of the ministry. Um, and as as T said, they're wonderful because they're all over the planet. Uh, you've got Africa and South America and America, and there's always got to be a New Zealand story <laughs> yeah, in there. That's, that's the rule of the, of the uh, sales of the archives. There's story. always a New Zealand story. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Eliza compels it. Um <laughs> And, the power uh, of Eliza compels you. <laughs> the power yeah. of Eliza compels you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so those are those are a lot of fun, and people have created uh, different agents. Some of them have written backstories for some agents that you see sort of in the background of the ministry novels. Extend those out. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a lot of fun. And then we, when we did the Kickstarter, we also did the Ministry Initiative, where we got people to also write more stories. No, and, Ministry Protocol. Sorry, I always get it wrong. Yeah, ministry yeah. Protocol, <laughs> which is the anthology. Um, so yeah, it, and that's the the most interesting bit about this whole thing is something that we started as a promotional activity has gone into this huge world building. Yeah. And I think I think we kind of got the idea that we weren't just going to make this a one-off season for Tales in the Archives because that particular year, um, at uh, at the Parsec Awards, it turned out that the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences shut out everybody else in both short story categories. It didn't, and that was the weird thing. It didn't make best anthology, but all but the stories it, were everywhere. all the short stories. Every nominee was from Tales in the Archives, and we were like, "Wow, that's kind of cool and to we see." We got uh, three podcast uh, parsecs. Well, we've gotten three parsecs. Uh, we've won three parsecs. Yeah, we won the um, anthology one. You, you won. You won the short story, beating me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not bitter about that. No, 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 no. Not at all. But you remember not at all. it. I remember it every <laughs> second of that moment. <laughs> um, Paul Herring. PC Herring won for the seven, and then last year we won for we won for best anthology. Um, sadly, this year we are not eligible because our our season kind of shifted and it shifted out of nomination series. But so we'll have to be looking for the the 2015 yeah, parsecs. We're looking right. at you 2015. We're looking at you 2015. But That's um awesome. But we were uh but but no, we we 
we were fortunate enough to, to when we saw that we said, "Wow, people are really digging this." And then I think we also figured we got to keep doing this because there were people that would go in their blogs and they would say things like, "This was such a great story, such a great time. I can't wait for the next novel." And we said we we would go and we would go on there and leave a little comment saying, "Thank you very much for the review." By the way, did you know we have podcasts? And they're like, "What's a podcast?" And then we introduced them to this podcast and you, you know, say the words free and people you say you say free fiction and people lose their minds on <laughs> yeah. and 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 the the thing was is they 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 blogged about that they were like oh my god the best thing it ever ha-. they they tweet about it they go i just discovered all these short stories set in the ministry universe and they're free and people lose their minds about that but the i think one of the funniest things about the tales in the archives though happened when i got a call from bain books and they contacted me and said, um, this story that you've got written called uh, In the Spirit of Christmas, and it was the first Tales from the Archives Christmas special. It's because we do, we do, we do seasonal yeah. specials. We, we took nice. a page from Doctor Who, and we said, I want to have holiday specials. So, so far we've had two Christmas specials and one Hanukkah special. Um, nice. So, yes, we, we, have, we have a new subgenre of steampunk. We call it latka punk. Um, <laughs> actually, the writer, at least. The, 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 the writer came up with that. Actually, yes, right, the writer right. came up with that. Um, but, uh, but they said this, this story of in the spirit of Christmas, and it's it's a story where Wellington and Eliza get a late night call from a, a money lender named Ebenezer Scrooge. He has a ghost problem. Can he? Can can the ministry help? So they help out. So I rewrote, I rewrote uh, the ending of uh, I rewrote the ending of, uh, of of a Christmas Carol. It was it was it was done out of love. Um, Dickens, but anyway, playing. so they contacted me. Bain Books contacted me and said, "Do you own the rights to the story?" And I was like, "Well, yeah." And they said, great, we'd love to have it for our Christmas anthology. And I thought, okay. So a, a, a story that I did to promote one series actually paid for itself even more so with this, with this pickup from Bain. And I was, I was pretty proud to say that, wow, that, that means that now at that time, uh, four different publishers were carrying the – Now minister- we're up to five. Now we're up to five, five different wow. publishers. And so, so it's really nice to be able to offer fans who really enjoyed the, the, the series – um, this the the short stories and what's been also nice uh, too is um, it works both ways. The short stories introduce people who are new to the novels. The people who are into the novels find more content from the short stories. So it's win win on both sides. Nice. Well, now so as a part of this, as part of the the series, you obviously just released Dawn's Early Night, uh, Early Light. Uh, can you tell us a little bit? That just came out in March, right? Yeah, just came out. It feels what? like a long time ago, Man. but it was only less than a month ago. Yeah, it feels it feels like we have aged considerably <laughs> since then. But yeah, it's it's only it's only three weeks old, and um, and actually the idea came to me for Dawn of the Light when we were vacationing in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and we looked uh, up at a lighthouse. Yeah, we we, we were. It's at, no spoiler because it's on the cover. It is on the cover. Yeah, and and we we were we were just we were hanging out by the Curatuck Lighthouse. And I'm looking at it. I'm just staring at it. And Pip comes up to me and goes, "What?" And I said, "Wouldn't that lighthouse make an incredible death ray?" <laughs> and that was where. And as soon as you say death ray, boom! That was like. <laughs> I th- I th- in fact, I think you turned to me when I said that. You turned to me and went, "Book three? And I went, "Book three. <laughs> so- nice. <laughs> so Eliza and Wellington come to America and uh, investigate these strange 
strange airships and boats going missing. Boats and airships airships going missing. No wreckage. No wreckage. No no flotsam. No survivors. uh, They think it's going to be a nice little, uh, I don't know, a slight vacation in uh, in North Carolina. They end up going on a bit of a journey across America on airships and hypersteams and all sorts of cars. Yeah, yeah. I think we called it, instead of calling it trains, planes, and automobiles, I think we called it... We call it, we call it hypersteams, airships, and motor cars. You know. That's right. In awesome. fact, I think that we cover all forms of transport. I think we do. I think we do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so this came out and um, and is available on what Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Mysterious Galaxy, and all those places, and audio. Yeah. And audio. We are very. We were so so lucky that James Langton, who who um, created audiobooks for the first two books. Uh, came back and uh, and he fought, he basically followed us when we jumped publishers from Harper Voyager over to Ace. He followed us and he came over to read the third book. I think we requested him, darling. I, no, <laughs> no, I think we I think we said I don't think we re- I think we did request him, but I think that it was if you could get James Langton, get James Langton. that would be awesome. <laughs> and it was, it and, was. and it is, it was and awesome. and yeah. So you can you can get you can get it in audio, ebook, and uh, and 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 good old fashioned print. Awesome, awesome. So it's available at all mediums. Yeah, no excuse not to be, not no excuse not to be encountering this. Book. No excuse, <laughs> no right. excuse. You can even get it as a download from Audible. Awesome. But we ask that you don't pirate it. We ask that you don't pirate it because we're trying to keep a roof over our heads. Thank you. Right, very right, much. right. <laughs> we want to help the cause and <laughs> and everything else. Well, that's awesome. So if people want to find out more about this whole world, where can they do that? Well, strange you should say that. We have a website. It's ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com. And, of course, T and I have our own separate writing websites. Uh, we have pjballantine.com. And you got to spell my name out uh, with T-E-E, but it's tmorris.com. Right. And then, and then, as I said earlier, there's the, uh, there's, the, there's the podcast we do together strictly for fun called The Shared Desk, and that's at thesharedesk.com. Then we've got this new thing we're doing, and with this, this is actually a byproduct of what happened during the during the Kickstarter. Um, so we're working on the Ministry Protocol, and it turned out to be a beautiful book. I mean, we're very happy with the interior, with the exterior, but we were hopping around just trying to find different different things that we needed: uh, cover artists, editors, and, uh, and and layout people. It was exhausting. It was. It, I mean, it was actually a full-time gig just trying to corral everybody together. And Pip said, Pip said to me after, after a protocol was done, she said, you know, it'd be nice if there was just one place you could go. Just one place where you could go and you could pick up an editor, pick up a proofreader if you needed one, pick up a, a cover artist, just one stop, just one, one place on the web. And... Uh, because it, we were launching a book in the month of March, Pip didn't think that was enough. So we also launched this venture <laughs> called called the One Stop Writer Shop, which is at One Stop Writer Shop dot com. Uh. And what it is, and what it is, it's it's basically a hub where you can tap into a network of of layout artists. You can um, even hire us to read your audio book. Yeah. Yeah, we, we do some audio production. Like these voices, and <laughs> and that's what we're offering people. And uh, and it was it was nice because before the before the website even went live, uh, I believe we got contacted by somebody and said, "We we we do my book." And then after the website went live, about a week or two later, I picked up a gig going over to a writer's house and teaching her some of the th- some of the higher higher points of InDesign. 
So um, we think we're on to something, and we're hoping it just goes up from here. So that's, yeah, if you want to check that out, that's over at onestopridershop.com. Nice, nice. Well, one final thing before we go here. We do have to wrap up the sure. show because we're encroaching on an hour here. Um, uh, <laughs> tell me. Yeah, it's easy to do. Uh, it, it is easy to do. You get podcasts on the show and uh, you just can't shut them up. Uh, so tell me, uh, we, we mentioned this earlier. Tell me why the name T-Monster for your Twitter. <laughs> oh, no. The edited version, please. I consider myself a very, very lucky geek. I consider myself a very, very lucky sci-fi geek. I've, I've never hidden my geek flag. I wear it proudly. That being said, I have also enjoyed the company of ladies and, <sighs> and enjoyed the company of ladies at college where sometimes roommates walk in on you <laughs> when you are entertaining said ladies. Alright. Now that we've established that. Can you hear me blushing? Because I think right, I'm right, blushing. Because right, right, right. I'm telling the story in front of my wife. This right, is a little right, weird. Right, right. Awkward. Yeah. Uh, awkward. So so anyway. Um so so uh, I'm 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 pledging uh, the band fraternity. Uh, my, my my marching band at, at James Madison University was so big that we have our own fraternity. And we were, we were. Uh, I, I said, guys, I forgot something in my room. Can we swing by? And they said, yeah, sure. So they all swing by, and I tried to stay as far away from my room as possible because while, um, while I had had someone walk in on me, as I said earlier, my 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 sweet mates, they tended to party really hard, far harder. Than, I I I would sleep. Or maybe your mother could be listening to this. I know. Right. I'm, right. I'm being very careful. <laughs> I would sometimes sleep at. At other buddies' rooms, other buddies' rooms, because these guys would be partying till three, four in the morning. Uh, some of them puking in my in my my laundry basket. So yeah, bad oh, memories. Uh, so yeah. I'm I'm hoping that that my sweet mates aren't there. I'm hoping that my sweet mates are there. I walk in with my with my fraternity friends, and they're all there, and they all look at me and just as if they had orchestrated it. They went, "Hey, it's the tea monster," and I look at them like. <laughs> What did they just call me? And <laughs> the, my fraternity friends turn, look at each other, and go, "T monster," and that's when they all nod and they go, "Yeah, he can't party with us because we can't keep up with him. He's quite the entertainer, aren't you, T monster?" Yeah, <laughs> and they start spinning these tales of things that I have no recollection of doing. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but because. My fraternity friends in the marching band picked up on it. They were like, well, T-Monster it is then. And that stuck with me from college to present day. Right, right. Awesome. <laughs> oh, oh, that's painful. I think I Man, need a drink. And, and, that, and, that, and, that, and that is the story behind your Twitter handle, right? Email yes, and everything exactly. else. Yes, exactly. That is the story behind the Twitter handle. I think he's a little proud of it myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says as he breaks into a sweat and fidgets nervously in his chair. Right, right. Well, T and Pip, we just really appreciate you taking some time out of your uh, schedule here and promotion and everything just to sit down and chat with us in the diner and uh, tell us a little bit about the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. And my, and, and my college name. <laughs> and, your college, and your college name. That was fun. Thanks, guys. We appreciate being on the show. Thank you so much for visiting the Sci-Fi Diner. We hope you enjoyed the food, the service, and the conversations. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about, or tell us what you're watching or reading, flip open your communicators and contact us at 1-888-508-4343 or click the SpeakPipe link 
at scifidinerpodcast.com or send an mp3 or typed email to scifidinerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also join the conversation on our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash diner. We'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show. If you'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation, you can always throw some coins in the tip jar at sci-fi diner podcast.com. <laughs>